The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and we are live for the UFC 266 post show. I am your host, Phil Chair Talk, the Big Phil Combo, coming to you live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Eric Marcotte, filling the shoes of our own John Pollock, who's uh, away on assignment tonight. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, those those are some big shoes to fill, man. I think you're putting a bit too much pressure on me. Why don't you fill John's shoes? And, and I'll try to fill yours. Well, that, that's certainly a lot easier. So yeah, okay, you take the easy road. I'll take the hard road. I'll host the show. I'll put all the weight on my back. I'll carry the load like every time, Eric. I get it. I see how we're starting this, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we've got a UFC card to talk about, a really fun UFC card. It's been a while since we've had a UFC pay-per-view, and this one had some notable fights on the main card, uh, and even below it. Uh, what was your excitement level going into this one, Eric? Uh, mostly, it was pretty high for this one. I mean, it, like you said, it's been a while since we've gone a pay-per-view, and there have been some fight nights in between, but you know, they've mostly been pretty weak, especially for UFC standards. And this was a really stacked card, especially compared to that last one. Like, there were prelims on this event that I could see headlining fight nights, you know? But there was also, and we'll get into this a bit more later, there was also a bit of, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, trepidation, perhaps, concerning uh, one of the fights on the card. Sure, yes, understandable. I mean, no, 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 we don't need to beat around the bush with it. I mean, certainly the Nick Diaz returning after such a long layoff uh had cause for concern um but uh thankfully it, it turned out to be okay uh but like you said we'll get to that later why don't we start with the main event brian ortega versus alexander volkanovsky so brian ortega went to this fight you know a plus he was a he was less of an underdog in this fight than he was in the korean zombie fight uh what what'd you think about his chances going into this one those odds make sense to me. I kind of felt the same way because before the zombie fight, he had a pretty long layoff and his fight right before that was was the beatdown by Max Holloway, right? So he comes back, he's fighting the Korean zombie who's uh, very heavy-handed with great jiu-jitsu. That seemed like a terrible matchup for Ortega on paper. But he comes out and he wins every single round of the fight. You know, it was one of the most impressive performances of his career. Now, still, he's going to come into this one as the underdog but I think there was a lot more good faith in his abilities going into this one. Yeah, I, I did think it was a little bit odd, though, considering how strong Volkanovsky has looked. I mean, he's really shown almost no weakness, maybe a little bit in the second Max fight, but that was a very even competitive fight. So um, I did think he would be a, a bigger favorite going into it. Um, but uh, let's leave that aside. And why don't you tell us what uh, how it started out in the first round? 
So, yeah, before we even get into that, this was a fight that was scheduled for earlier this year, I believe, but Volkanovski had to withdraw due to COVID, and after that, they coached the Ultimate Fighter together. So, after uh, spending so much time together, there was a bit of bad blood going into this one, and that always adds to that atmosphere. Uh, when the fight starts... Volkanovski... Actually, before we get to this, the, the start, any comments on the uh, entrances? <laughs> oh my god you know what the the fight was so exciting that i actually forgot about the entrances so <laughs> Bri- brian ortega and friends come out with these like purge masks on and, this is back, and i don't know what the song was it's probably from the purge i've never seen it but it was uh, what did you what did you think phil was this cool or? Crazy? i mean i had no clue what these masks were i didn't know anything about the purge i didn't know anything about the music but i mean it looked cool it was it was like a simple thing to differentiate yourself that doesn't require you wearing a 50 pound helmet so uh i i i, I like i didn't mind it yeah i kind of liked I, it too yeah Yes, and then uh, Volkanovsky comes out to, you know, a more whimsical song uh, uh, down under from uh, Men at Work. And uh, so total opposite uh, contrast there. Um, But uh, anyway, let's get into the fight. The meat and potatoes, what the people paid for. Yes, so Volkanovsky, he starts off pretty much as you'd expect Alexander Volkanovsky to. He attacks the leg. He's not a tentative fighter. He's always very active, especially with his jab. And both men were finding the range early, like maybe two minutes into the fight. They were both cut open beneath their eyes because they were both landing a lot. Uh, I did think Volkanovsky took the opening round. He was just a bit stronger with his strikes. He was Ortega through more. But Volkanovski landed more, and that's always a big thing when you're looking at the quality of uh, of someone striking, right? Going into round two, it was more of the same, but Volkanovski was starting to pull ahead a bit. You can tell he was getting more comfortable on the feet, and he was really starting to march forward, throwing these big overhand rights that were cracking Ortega over and over again. Ortega did start throwing back leg kicks, which is probably the, the best saving grace for him by this point. But I had Volkanovski ahead two rounds to nothing going into round three. And this round three was uh, maybe the talk of the card coming out of this. Because uh, as we start off, Volkanovski is really pulling ahead at this point. He is walking Ortega down, landing those rights. Uh, it looks like Ortega is starting to slow down. And then out of nowhere... Ortega starts to fire back and he lands this left hand and I don't think Volkanovski was rocked here but he did go down he did go down and Ortega gave him no room to recover immediately just jumping on this guillotine and I don't know about you Phil but I thought the fight was over here yeah I I was pretty certain it was over it I mean Volkanovski was bucking like a fish uh, here, although I don't know if that's flopping like a fish, I think <laughs> okay. is the better yeah. term. Yeah. Uh, bucking like a horse, flopping like a fish, trying to get out of this. I mean, he was locked in this position for, I don't know, 12, 15 seconds, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. And the, the one thing that was hard to tell, and I'm, I'm gonna, uh, go back and watch this later was it was very difficult to see what the hand position was of Ortega. It definitely looked like he was tight. He was heavy on top. It, it looked like he was a perfect setup for the finish, but without knowing that hand position, it's, a, it's impossible to tell. And obviously it wasn't because he didn't get the finish. And, uh, yeah, 
Volkanovsky was able to uh, flop out. Yes, yeah, somehow Volkanovsky escapes this. And if he thought he was out of the fire, he was dead wrong here because moments later, Brian Ortega almost has him in his signature triangle choke. And once again, you're thinking, oh man, this might be over. But Volkanovsky escapes once more and just starts laying up beat down from top position on Brian Ortega. I don't think it's, it's a, an exaggeration to say this fight was on the verge of being stopped at the end of the round because that's how much damage Ortega was taking. And when the horn sounded and Volkanovski retreated to his corner, the camera stayed on Ortega and Ortega was not getting up. He looked rough. I thought the fight was going to be stopped here as well because he was just non-responsive. But hey, he picked himself up got cleared by the doctors to come out for round four with his eyes swollen shut practically, and the fight continued. Now, round four was probably the most one-sided fight of, or one-sided round of the entire fight. Ortega goes for a takedown. I forget what submission he was looking for. It might have been a Doris. He tries it quickly. Volkanovski escapes, and pretty much for the remainder of the round, he's just putting a beat down on Brian Ortega. I, I gave this round 10-9 for Volkanovski, but you can certainly make the case for a 10-8. Did you go that far, Phil? Uh, I did give that round 10-8 to Volkanovski. Uh, yeah, it was completely one-sided. I thought that the fight was over at the end of the third because I thought Ortega had just given himself up. You know, he did he used everything in his body to try to get that uh, submit both of those submissions, and it looked like he had nothing left in, in round four. Um, but, you know, somehow managed to hang on. Yeah, so the fight goes into round five, and Volkanovski is, or sorry, Ortega, that is, is down big. His face is a mess. But somehow he starts moving forward, and he takes control of this fight. He puts Volkanovski on the back foot. He's constantly throwing and landing big shots. There wasn't a, a point where Volkanovski was rocked or in trouble of being finished or anything. But I thought this final round was a really strong one for Ortega, and I gave him round five. Yeah, I did as well. It was it was a close round. Def the first half of the round, I still favored Volkanovski, but as the round concluded, it was the commentators mentioned it was sort of the first time in the fight you saw Volkanovski slow down at all, and uh, Ortega managed to get you know wind number four in this fight. And was able to put uh, some combinations together. Um, but yeah, too little, too late. So yeah, the fight goes the distance. The judges scored 49-46, 50-45, and 50-44 for Alexander Volkanovsky, who retains the UFC featherweight championship here. Phil, what are your thoughts? I mean, really incredible performance by Volkanovsky. Just, I mean, the two big things were just, We've seen him put on an incredible pace before, but this was even higher pace than those Max Holloway fights. And of course, the resiliency to fight out of those submissions and then still, you know, have tons of energy to continue uh, pushing the pace uh, in this one. Um, I know, I mean, we may talk about it. Uh, you know, Max Holloway is scheduled to fight Yair Rodriguez in um, two months from now, a little bit under that. And that's, you know, probably going to be a number one contenders fight. I, I really want to see that Max rematch. I mean, I am just so excited. I know, you know, it's 2 nothing, but the, both were close, and the second one was even closer. 
Yeah, I mean, if you if Yair Rodriguez pulls that one off, there's no question he's getting a title shot beating uh, Max Holloway. But as far as the Holloway Volkanovski trilogy fight, I don't think anyone's saying no to that. I, I scored the second fight for Max Holloway as well. I, I know a lot of people did. It was very close, but it feels like a trilogy where these are clearly the two best featherweights in the world. And yes. it didn't feel like their business is concluded. It feels like they have one more fight in them. So I'm hoping we'll see that as well. There, There's some outside picks of guys who could crawl into that position, like uh, the Korean Zombie still really only a fight away from a title shot. Uh, if Zabit ever returns, he's he's close as well, but... Yeah, I think I think that's the direction I'd be most excited for as well. This was an incredible performance by Alexander Volkanovsky tonight. Absolutely. So with that, you know, Brian Ortega is now 0-2 in title fights. They're both pretty one-sided. I think, you know, he's clearly improved since the last fight. Um, but where do you go uh, if you're Brian Ortega? Um, that's a pretty good question because featherweight's kind of, it's in a strange logjam of inactivity. It has been for years. It's pretty rare that a lot of these fighters are actively fighting and and you're not seeing a lot of first time matchups. It's just kind of been a stale division, not because the fighters aren't great. They are just because we haven't seen a lot of these fights. There's no shortage of opponents for him if if they get made, like imagine Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez, that'd be fantastic, right? But- uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple for you. So this is what you this is what you do. You do Brian Ortega versus Edson Barbosa, right? Because yeah, they're both like fun. that they're both coming off losses. And then if you're not gonna do the Holloway rematch, then the the guy is uh, Chikadze, right? Oh, I actually forgot about him. He's moving right into that contention as well now, too. I mean, after that last win, that's such a big fight. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nowhere higher really for him to go. So, um, and he's such an exciting fighter that uh, I could see that happening if, you know, depending on what the UFC wants to do, timing-wise, and all that. Um, no, that's a really good show. I, I could see that one happening next for Ortega. I mean, it's like you said, he's taken in his two title defenses, he's taken, or sorry, title fights, he's taken a beating, like a ton of damage from both Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. I think it's probably going to be, it's going to take an impressive run for him to get another shot, as fun as both of those fights were. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's move on to the next title fight on the card. Uh, for fans of this show, you will know that my favorite fighter is Valentina Shevchenko, and she was taking on Lauren Murphy. Um, so, what, I mean, almost silly to ask this, I feel, but what were your thoughts about, you know, Lauren Murphy as a contender going into this one? Oh, I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful, but even amongst the women's flyweight challengers who faced Shevchenko previously I feel like Lauren Murphy was perhaps on the low end of them I there isn't a single area that she can I'm not even gonna say better than Valentina that she can match Valentina in and you saw that in the fight that we're about to talk about Uh, how did you feel about Phil I mean yeah I didn't I, I definitely didn't see her as um you know I thought she was a stronger opponent than you know maybe Jessica I uh she's she's a bigger girl um so i thought maybe the strength advantage that valentina has had 
uh, over opponents wouldn't be as significant. And she's been improving. Like, she earned her spot. She won some tough fights. So I, I was fine with it. But, yeah, I mean, I was I was expecting what the odds makers were expecting. And that's ultimately what we got. So, uh, I mean, once you, you run it down, uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, the same old, same old. But uh, you're the man, Eric, so have at it. Yeah, so this was far from the most like action-packed fight, but it was very one-sided from the start. I mean, you could see Shevchenko quickly gain the better of their exchanges, landing real quick combinations and escaping before Murphy could respond. As the first round kind of moved onward, Shevchenko started to let loose a bit more, throwing in some head kicks and some spitting elbows and, you know, fun stuff with that. She ended the round with a strong takedown. There was no question who won round one. And it was more of the same in round two. She started digging into the body with kicks as well. And once again, big takedown to end the round. 2018 Shevchenko, a non-competitive fight thus far. And hey, guess what? That trend is about to continue in round three. The pace of the fight's slow. And you can hear the crowd voicing their displeasure. Uh, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to fault them when the pace gets slow like that. But at the same time, I don't think you can attribute any of that to Valentina Shevchenko, who was controlling every second of this. Really, it, go ahead. Well, it did seem like every time that the crowd, like the the crowd, sort of knew that they didn't want to boo Valentina, yeah, right. And then you know, any time that was about to happen, she her timing. You know, she's so amazing. She'd throw a spinning thing, or a, a there would be a knockdown, or a, like a good shot, or a takedown in that moment. So. So whenever, even when the booze were creeping in, she would just like say, no, yet they're done. So the biggest difference maker at this point in the fight, completely evident, was the speed. Valentina Shevchenko was so much quicker than Lauren Murphy. Like it was uh, just a ridiculous difference in speed. There, there aren't too many highlights in round three, but one thing I did put down in my notes, at, at one point in the round, Daniel Cormier, on commentary, begins to tell the story <laughs> of Divison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno too. But he forgot both fighters' names, and he forgot how the fight went. So why is he <laughs> trying to tell the story? I have no idea. Cormier uh, is very hit and miss on commentary, if I'm being kind. But this was this was something else. Thirty twenty seven, Shevchenko. We go into round four. The they talk about uh, Murphy's corner at one point and Murphy's corner is apparently, I missed the audio myself. I'm just listening to what the commentator said, but apparently her coaches tell her that she's doing great work in the clinch. She's, she's doing great. Get, get at it champ. Yeah. I I mean, so they weren't telling her she was doing great, but they were more reassuring her that, it's okay. And, you know, and, but, but even that was not the correct coaching as, uh, the commentary team was pointing out. It was so clear that she was behind. If she wanted to win, it needed to be some major differences, some major game plan adjustments. I mean, how about this? How about this idea? Activity, throw some shots, go for it. What did she go for at any point here? Anyway, I'm getting exactly. ahead of myself a little bit. And, so, And while Shevchenko is a fighter who can finish a fight, as we'll talk about shortly, she's not Francis Ngani either. You can rush in and try to mount your own offense without uh, being scared for your life, right? 
and Murphy just did not have the activity to gain any points or any respect from Shevchenko. Uh, at one point, Shevchenko just kind of slipped as Murphy was going for a Superman punch, and the entire crowd reacted like there was just some sort of knockdown that got a laugh out of me. Uh, moments later, Shevchenko lands this right hook that rocks Murphy, and she just follows it up with this never-ending combination. Murphy's in rough shape, and Shevchenko just takes her to the ground, throws a number of right hands, and the fight is stopped at four minutes of round four, and Valentina Shevchenko retains the flyweight championship to the surprise of absolutely nobody. Uh, Phil, let's hear your thoughts on this one first. Yeah, clinical performance. Um, Unfortunately, you know, from the perspective of a Valentina fan, you got what you wanted, sort of. I mean, I I wanted more of a challenge, some type of uh, activity from Lauren Murphy. I, I I mean, I posted this like it felt like batting practice or uh, being at the driving range. It didn't feel like there was any type of competition here, and um, so just a really. Like I don't know how Lauren Murphy is going to feel when she goes back and looks at this fight and and thinks about what she tried to do to win it and and she should hold her count, coaches accountable to some degree but it's on her to go in there and try to win a championship this is she's not going to get another shot at this so uh she needed to go for it um and you know Valentina just does what she did thankfully she got a finish here like right like cuz that keeps that train rolling it would have been bad if uh you know it kind of was a lackluster decision um so you know impressive finish it was an amazing combination um before the final takedown that led to the to the the ref stopping it um but what more can you say about this woman she's incredible fighter in my opinion she's like if you think about pound for pound technically i think she's pound for pound the best you know right up there kamaru you know the two of them hand in hand and uh in terms of this division it's like there there's nothing really there for her but i'm okay with her just knocking these girls out and just being a star and dancing and speaking 40 languages i love it give me that any chance I feel exactly the same way. I never have a problem with a champion staying in their division and trying to defend their title as many times as possible, even when it's complete domination. I mean, a lot of that criticism went in the direction of Demetrius Johnson back in the day. It was like, oh, this guy is so much better than everyone. Why isn't he moving back to Bantamweight? It's like, well, why would he? He's He can set the UFC record. And he did. He's in the history books with his 11 consecutive title defenses. So I, I feel the same way about Shevchenko. If she does move up, obviously, the really the only fight that's going to get attention for Valentina Shevchenko is a third fight with Amanda Nunes. And she's 0-2 and two against Nunes. But to be fair, their second fight was remarkably close. And I think people would be very interested in a third one if it were to happen someday. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I think maybe both of them have like about two, two fights, two or three fights left in their, you know, you know, Amanda in her two divisions. And then I I could see them meeting down the line. But I think that uh, there's opportunity still for Valentina in her division to, you know, clear out more names. I mean, I'm trying to look down this list, see who's uh, possibly (laughs) uh, or some names, any names. I mean, 
Uh, I mean, you know, Cynthia Calvillo did, wasn't able to get it done today. Uh, I'm just trying to find somebody who's here. I mean, you've got Alexa Grasso's got two in a row. Um, oh, now my Alexa responded to that. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty slim pickings down this list. So, I mean, what would you do? Um, well, depending on the outcome of Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Weili too, maybe uh, Weili Zhang would be interested in moving up to face Valentina Shevchenko. That could potentially be a fun fight. <laughs> uh, aside from that, I don't know. Whoever's next in line, go for it. What about if we go way, way down oh, the rankings? No. <laughs> what? Are you going to cut me off? Are you going to cut me off right now? All right. Go ahead, Phil. Now go ahead. She, she, you, you know what her ranking right now is? Uh, like 37th? 23. You know, oh, number 23, you know who wore number 23? The GOAT. Casey O'Neill, mark my words, Casey O'Neill will be challenging for that title one day. Pretty soon, I think, actually. Okay. Maybe three more wins. Like, it's, it's, it's slim pickings in this division. So, anyway. All right, everybody. <laughs> you've heard the man mark his words. April O'Neill, Valentina. April O'Neill? That would be very impressive if April O'Neill... We're going to Wait, be. What's I mean, name? did it, Casey O'Neill, April O'Neill. April O'Neill's now, That's right. But I believe didn't <laughs> Megan Fox play uh, April O'Neill in like some type of Ninja uh, Turtle movie? I, I never so watched we, the Michael Bay one, but that sounds about right. Oh, of course. Oh, if it was Michael Bay, then of course it was. So yeah, yes, yeah. let's get April O'Neill versus Casey O'Neill, and the winner can fight Valentina Shevchenko. Also from Ninja Turtles. So see how you get mixed up like that. Case, that's. That's Casey. I was going to say Casey Kasem, but that's Casey not right. Casey Jones, right? Casey Jones, yes, of yeah. course. Of course. All right. Well, that's enough of that. <laughs> Let's All move right, on fine. from the Ninja Turtle Tack and uh, Valentina Shevchenko, the dominant champion, and move on to what was, you know, for a lot of people, the main event of the night the return of. Stockton's finest or second finest, Nick Diaz. Before we get into the fight, Eric, um, from you know, talk to me before. I believe you said you started to follow around UFC 100. Is that right? Yeah, spot on. So, so what is your sort of, I guess, experience with Nick Diaz? Well, the entirety of his UFC run, of course, and his earlier stuff like the. Uh his strike force career mainly, although some of his earlier UFC stuff, his fight with Gomi, all of that, I didn't get to see that until Fight Pass came out. And then at that point, you get to see the real highlights of his career. But throughout his run in the UFC, despite there only being like, what, four fights that's in that second run? Four fights, I believe? He, he felt like a superstar every single time. So he's... Uh, I'm trying to think of what the right word he's a legendary figure in mma and kind of like a cult figure in the sport i'd say yes yes definitely a uh i mean yes cult figure who sort of almost turned into a bit of a mainstream figure i mean for the longest time he was you know the big brother of you know the the diaz yeah. clan and it wasn't until nate had that connor fight that he's he became 
the bigger star. But uh, Nick was known for just incredible fights, always uh, going at it. And the Robbie Lawler fight <clears throat> that this their first Robbie Lawler fight was one of those just incredible classic matches that were part of his incredible career. And so, you know, the, the UFC was trying to recapture a little bit of that magic for this one. And at least for me, you know, they were doing a good job. I, I was buying into it. I know a lot of people were worried going in about Nick, um, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't really that worried. I thought he would, you know, at the very least show, a deep, you know, a respectable side of himself, and he definitely did. Yeah, so I mean, going into this fight, I was I was in the worried camp, not because of anything that Nick said in his interviews. I know a lot of that gained attention in the last week or so, but that's kind of always been Nick Diaz. But just small things like seeing his uh sh- his shadow boxing and stuff, and the knowledge that this guy has not won a fight in ten years. This guy hasn't fought since twenty fifteen. There were definitely some worries going into this, but I'm happy to say he far exceeded my expectations. So uh, jumping into the fight, these two last fought in the fight that Phil was talking about at UFC 47 in 2004. Now, I don't know what the longest time between rematches in MMA history is, but I think this would probably be a strong contender for that crown. <laughs> you, you got uh, anything, Phil? Uh, oh, I'm... I'm... Well, I mean, how long was it between Tito and Chuck? I guess it wasn't. No, not that long. Not not long. Uh, according to Brendan Schaub, it's only been like six years since uh, since uh, Robbie Lawler and uh, Nick Diaz fought last. What? <laughs> yeah, th- wow. it's, yeah, yeah. You can you can find that clip on Bora Kenya De- Depot. John sent that to me earlier this week. Oh my uh, God. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, an incredible a length of time, an incredible career. You know, so much has happened to Nick Diaz uh, in that time. Of course, was Strike Force champion, had the uh, Elite XC brawl, uh, fought for the UFC title against George St. Pierre, great fights against uh, BJ Penn. Um, Anderson Silva, very strange fight. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, all of that just, you know, and then, you know, a multitude, you know, of marijuana suspensions that, you know, there was one marijuana suspension that had him out for five years. He was supposed to be suspended for five years. And even, and the initial request in that hearing was a lifetime ban for for marijuana use so complete so he was sort of one of the first fighters who was really sort of singled out for his marijuana use and uh you know there was one time though that he fought like purely high like he smoked a joint but was that the one yeah Yeah, where he smoked a joint before the fight and then when they tested him it was it, it was like through the roof uh incredible fight um well, he, has, he doesn't have to worry about any of that anymore. And so, you know, the legend uh, can smoke safely and compete. Um, but uh, why don't we go through the fight after all, all of that preamble and uh, you let us know how it went. All right. Yeah. So jumping into it, this was a fight that was scheduled for five rounds instead of three, despite being a non-title fight. So a rarity for non-main events in the UFC. But hey, Diaz brother rules, right? The fight starts and Lawler is incredibly aggressive to begin, which we haven't seen from him in a long time. Uh, 
Diaz looked overwhelmed for a couple seconds, but he locked in quickly and he starts to fire back as the crowd's just roaring in support of Nick Diaz. Both men were digging into the body and that's when Diaz begins to advance. Lawler is doing a better job of mixing in leg kicks, which is something that uh, Nick Diaz does not do and he did not do here. Uh, Diaz was really getting comfortable with his boxing, lighting Robbie up as he was advancing, but Lawler not deterred at all. He fires back. He looks on. He has his hands down, walking forward, bobbing and weaving. The output for this round between these two men nearing 40 years of age was incredible. Uh, like I said, I was worried going into this. I was worried that we were going to get a, a sad fight between between two old men. But this was really entertaining. I gave the round to Nick Diaz. I thought he landed the better shots. Although really, was, yeah. Yeah, I did. It was very close, but I, I gave the first round to Nick Diaz. Going into um, well, round, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say, just by my reaction, I did not. Yeah. Um, it was a competitive round, um, but uh, Diaz had the volume. I just found that the advancing and Lawler had the power shots. Well, going into round two, uh, Lawler gets off to the better start once again, and he lands this body shot that Nick Diaz clearly did not like. Uh, they start tr- just trading punches in the pocket. Nick's Nick's best weapon throughout the fight, in my opinion, were these uppercuts that he was landing while they were fighting in the pocket. They were going clean through Lawler's guard every time. And in turn, Lawler was landing those big overhand lefts that were, well, Robbie Lawler throws with a lot of power, and Nick Diaz was feeling it. Uh, both men had landed over a hundred significant strikes by the end of the second round, which <laughs> I'm repeating myself, but is crazy for two fighters at this stage of their career. This was a really good round for Robbie, and I had this one at nineteen nineteen. I assume you had it twenty eighteen for Lawler. That's right. Okay, we go into round three, and this is a short round. Nick starts off aggressively, but Lawler lands this right hook that hurts Nick badly. And he follows it up with this uppercut, and Diaz pretty much goes down. And Robbie gives him an opportunity to return to the feed. He backs off and says, get up. But Nick Nick is done. He wants no part of this fight anymore. And the fight is stopped at 44 seconds of round three. Robbie Lawler, your winner by TKO. Uh, let's start with the stoppage, Phil. What, did, what was going through your mind when that happened? Um... Yeah, it was. A, it seemed like it was a combination of. I mean, he definitely just didn't want to be there. You, he, you could see him slowing down, even though he was still keeping up some decent volume. He, he was trying to sort of like run away a little bit to catch his yeah. breath and try to counter. Um, so he he was slowing. The body work by Robbie was very effective. Uh, he it looked like he maybe had like tweaked his knee a little bit or something because he was holding his leg a little bit odd, but uh, he didn't mention that. It, it just I think you nailed it. You know, he just got hit with enough shots. He was slowing down, and the writing was on the wall. And they've been the Diaz brothers have always been smart in protecting themselves in fights, and I think that's just what he decided to do. He's just going to protect himself. He wasn't going to win it. You know, save himself for another day. This was a Robbie Lawler who was fighting in the style of a much younger Robbie Lawler. Not not even like welterweight champion Robbie Lawler. I'm talking like young Robbie Lawler. Always moving forward, throwing constantly. 
definitely a throwback performance from him after a series of rough nights at the office. Some some he took on short notice, and his losses were to the best in the world, don't get me wrong. So this was far and away his biggest step down in competition in years. But it was great to see Robbie Lawler out there putting on a classic Robbie Lawler fight. In my opinion, he's probably the most entertaining fighter in MMA history. That's quite the claim. He's always been a personal More entertaining than, than Nick Diaz. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, he's number one in my book. And I, I was glad to see him looking like he was having fun again. Yeah, I mean, he looked incredible. He looked super sharp. I mean, he 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 did, you know, eat a fair amount of shots, but his head movement was good. He avoided a lot of shots as well. I'd like to see what uh, Nick's accuracy. You know, Nick, you know, he didn't come in shape really, though, for this fight, right? Like you could tell he was soft in this fight. Yeah. Uh, is there? Do you see any future for him? Do you see any other fights for him out there? I don't know. It's tough to say. There seemed as though there were parts of this he enjoyed. Like uh, This was a very different atmosphere than previous Nick Diaz fights. This wasn't a guy who was the villain anymore. This is a beloved figure by the MMA mm-hmm. community who were just vo- constantly voicing their adoration for him. Uh, him and Robbie Lawler, very respectful relationship. They had a nice moment after the fights, right? So yeah. I, I think... I think it'll probably come down to if in, in at the end of the day, he had a good time with this experience. Obviously, the guy does not like fighting. He's voiced that many times. It's likely he returned, and I don't want to make presumptions, but probably something to do with money because this guy has said a trillion times how much he hates fighting. But if he had a good time under this new new era of his career, I don't think it's impossible we see him back in there again. I wouldn't put money on it though. You don't think it's likely. Okay. Um okay, let's let's just play fantasy and say he does come back. Um and I'm going to give you I'm going to say you can pick a a welterweight to fight him at middleweight. Who would you go with? Who would be your pick? I would go with Matt Brown. That's a great choice. That's that's I would uh, that would be my number two choice. My number one choice would be Mike Perry. Oh my gosh! <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> you don't like that one? Uh, no, no. I, I just uh, I didn't see that one coming. You you surprised me there. <laughs> I I you know it's somebody who's like a fan favorite, exciting style. I think. Diaz can win that fight. Uh, I would favor Nick Di- the Nick Diaz we saw against Robbie Lawler tonight uh, beats the Mike Perry we've seen in recent Boom. years, in my opinion. Yeah. Boom. There we go. So it's either Mike Brown or uh, Matt Perry. Uh, Mike Brown. Oh, oh that yes. would be quite the comeback. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just inventing fighters here. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, well, what about uh, Robbie Lawler? What do you see next for him? I don't, I, you know, I don't really see. I mean, he, it's, he's in the same position. You got to put what? him in there with, uh, with Nate you Diaz. Know, that, I mean, that's a good fight. And it makes perfect sense if you're the UFC. But it just has always seemed like the Diaz brothers don't want to uh, chew each other's food. If you know what I mean. Oh, they both put a beating on Gomi, didn't they? Yeah, 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 that that is true. That is true. Look, I'm I'm sure they wouldn't reject a paycheck. So uh um but I don't know. It's like yes, this was the best uh 
Robbie Lawler that we've seen in a while, but it was against Nick Diaz, who hasn't fought in forever, seven years or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you know, fights with guys like Nate Diaz or Matt Browns of the world, you know, that makes sense. Um, But nobody in, you know, no one in the top. I mean, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. I don't want to see Robbie Lawler fighting the best in the world anymore, but I want to see him fight still. Jorge Masvidal isn't the worst one out there. That's not. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Do, it doesn't make sense for Masvidal right now. He's got bigger fish to fry. But I don't know. I could see that one happening. That's. It's, I, I don't like that fight for the sole reason that Lawler's the biggest uh, detriment to Robbie Lawler in 2021 is his speed is gone. That's he was a very quick fighter, and it's completely gone now. So I think a fight against someone who can throw real fast hands or real fast body shots like Masvidal would be a rough night for him. I, I, I would like to see Lawler fights more of people from his era, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll, we'll move on then uh, to, oh, I know the fight that you were looking forward to the oh, most. Fuck. <laughs> uh, Curtis Blades versus Gerizinho Rosenstrike. Why don't you zip through this one uh, and you can spare uh, the audience. All right. So uh, Blades took Rosenstrike down at one point throughout each round. And uh, <laughs> that's that won him each round because nothing else happened. And uh, well, with the sole exception of a knee to the face from Rosenstrike that, uh, that pretty much uh, closed Blades' eye completely. So. That that was his highlights. Uh, Curtis Blades wins by unanimous decision, thirty to twenty seven on all scorecards. Uh, how much did you like this fight, Phil? How much did I like this fight? Yeah. I mean, I liked that this. I mean, from for on a I don't know on a scale of zero to 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 five, I give it a, a D. I, I don't know. Yeah. It was it was. Uh, it, it 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 finished. I was happy when it was over. Uh, you know, Curtis Blades is somebody who's incredibly skilled, but unfortunately, he's in a very tough spot, having been knocked out by uh, Francis Ngannou and not having the most exciting style. Um. So, I mean, I you know, there's not much too much to add for it for that. Uh, I mean, I don't it, fault it, Curtis Blades in the slightest for his performance here. He won every round. He did what he had to do. But Jarzinho Rosenstrike, this has become a theme for him. A fighter who's just uh, incapable of activity at times, and this was perhaps his worst performance yet. Maybe even worse than the Gone fight. Uh, he has incredible power. You can see he's a, a more skilled striker than most heavyweights, but I, I I don't know what it is. If it's like a mental block or something that prevents him from getting going against all these variety of opponents, but uh, it's a problem, a serious problem in his game right now, and he's going to need to address it if he wants to work his way back near the top of the division. Yeah, he just has this uh, one-punch power that he relies on, and he relies on it in a counter-striking sort of way, right? So it, it's not like he comes forward aggressively like Nganu does. Um, so it, it just makes for these like long, drawn-out situations. And against uh, you know somebody who's as good of a wrestler as Curtis Blades, you give him time to get inside, he's going to get the takedown. He did have you know some well-timed shots. He 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 swelled them up pretty bad. I mean that eye was gnarly looking, but 
you got to do more to win these fights. Well, you, you have to do something at the very least. It was a poor performance from him, but for Curtis Blades, a much needed win after that loss to Derek Lewis. A, Who, a did fight more? He... Who did more? Rosenstrike or Lauren Murphy? Shit. Uh, well, uh, Rosenstrike landed that knee, even though he probably <laughs> did less overall. It was a bigger <laughs> moment. So, uh, hey, they both did more than Lewis against Hirogan. <laughs> <laughs> let's not All talk right. about this fight it sucks I, th- I i agree i'm on the same page enough time devoted to Shout that Curtis and it's Blades, though tons of fun fights for him in the future uh and then uh yes so then uh, the main card opened with cynthia calvio versus jessica andrage andrage coming off that loss or had she had a fight so no that was her last, no, no, fight, was right? last fight yeah so she's coming off the loss to the champ um what do you think about this fight, Eric? So uh, the broadcast points out before the fight starts that uh, with this fight, Jessica Andrade becomes the first female fighter with 20 UFC bouts. So milestone for her here. Um, the fight starts. Calvillo is circling as Andrade is trying to walk her down. There are a couple of exchanges on the feet, mainly with Calvillo working her, her jab. But quickly you notice there is a huge gap and power between Cynthia Calvillo and Jessica Andrade. And while Calvillo was landing the jab, it wasn't phasing Andrade at all. And Andrade was able to just walk forward. And she was throwing these strong hooks. Uh, with time running down in the opening round, Andrade lands like this pair of uppercuts that rocks Calvillo. And she just swarms Calvillo with this combination of strikes until the fight is eventually stopped. Uh, Calvillo doesn't go down, but she doesn't protest the stoppage at all. Jessica Andrade wins by TKO at 4.54 of round one. I will give it the mic to you, Phil. Yeah, I mean, pretty one-sided performance here. It just seemed like Calvillo didn't have any power to hurt Andrade, even though she was able to land quite a bit uh, in the first half of the round. But then once uh, Andrade realized that there was no power, she just marched through everything, started really planting into her shots, and just, you know, she rocked her a few times before even we got to that finishing sequence. And pretty dominant performance from Andrade, who, you know, might be the second best fighter in the division. Uh, without a doubt, I can't imagine anybody else in that division giving her any trouble. In fact, she's beaten most other fighters, top other fighters in the division before. Um, there's a clear number one at flyweight, and for now, there's a clear number two at flyweight as well. But in her post-fight interview, Andrade makes it clear that she would like to face the winner of Zhang Wei Li and Rose Namajunas. She has history with both fighters, one and one against Rose and zero and one against Zhang. So you could see why both of those fights are ones that she would like to get ahead in, especially for the strawweight championship. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to need to wait. I'm not sure how you know eager the 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 UFC is going to be going in that direction. Um, if but... Rose wins, I can see them going for the trilogy fight. But if Zhang wins, I don't think there's a chance. Yeah, if if anything, that leads to a Rose trilogy fight. Yeah, exactly. As uh, oh. poor Carla Esparza just waits on the sidelines forever. Yes. 
Um, all right. Okay. So that was the pay-per-view portion of the card. Um, now let's take it to, uh, the preliminary card. We'll start with the, uh, you know, the main event of the preliminary card, Marlon Marais going up against Marab Dvalishvili. How'd I do with that one? I've been uh, working better on it. than I would be able to, probably. Okay. He'll be simply referred to as Marab for the rest Marab. of uh, this podcast. <laughs> so this was uh, prominently placed at the head of these prelims, and we are about to talk about a pretty wild fight. Marias immediately starts to attack the leg in round one, and this prompts Marab to just start swinging in response, which is never a good idea when you're fighting Marlon Marias. He does get a takedown, but Marias pops right back to his feet, which is which was an excellent sign and boost for his confidence early. And Marias just catches Marab with this lightning quick left hook. He lands another one seconds later, and it drops Marab. Marias just starts swarming him, landing countless powerful left hooks. And a couple times, it looks like Marab is out. It looks like this fight's about to be stopped. But he somehow stays in there. And he takes Marias down with just this desperation takedown. You 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 think, you know, Marias is probably just going to get up like he did earlier and probably finish Marab. But that's not what happens at all. Marab postures up and starts throwing down hammer fists. And it looked to me like Marias was knocked out in this first round. He looked completely out of it. The, the fight does not get stopped when we go to round two. Uh, you can score this any way you want because... That's the type of round it was. You can throw anything at me from uh, 10-9 Marias, uh, 10-9 Marab, uh, 6-6. I I don't care. (laughs) That's the kind of round it was, but just a completely wild round. Uh, Yeah, so to just give you an idea, uh, the scores were 10-9, 10-9, and then one had it 9-10, had it 10-9 for Marab. So two had it for Marias, one had it for Marab. I I mean, I think I scored it for Marais, but I really had it even. Like, it just felt yeah. like it was an even round by, by the time it ended. This is an example of when a 10-10 round should be used, in my opinion, because this was completely even in the best possible way. There's a lot, Usually when we're talking about 10-10 rounds, it's because we just watched the worst round in MMA history. But in this case, yes. it was just a terrific round where both fighters were this close to taking out their opponents. And we go into round two, but Marias, he looks out of it. He has not recovered between rounds, and Marab immediately lands his right hand that Marias doesn't take well. Marab takes him down and just gets back to work with the ground and pound. Marias looks out, basically, for these next four minutes, but he's just doing enough to keep the ref from stopping it. Eventually, the fight does get stopped right near the end of the round, and Marab wins by TKO at 425 of round two. What did you think about the the stoppage in the second round in its entirety here? Oh, it was just horrible. I mean, they could have been stopped at so many points. It, it just went on too long. I mean, you could even make a case that it could have been stopped in the previous round because yeah. Marab was really pounding him at the end, and even the commentators were wondering if uh, Marais had, uh, maybe gone out for a second. So yeah, way too long, way too much of a beating. Um, but incredible comeback by Marab. I mean, on, on, I mean, this was up until, uh, the main event, this was the round of the year, or at least a round of the year contender. 
the first yeah i mean when we were watching this we were like round of the year no doubt but they may have been absurd uh absurd in the exact same night which was just uh speaks to the quality of this card because typically you're not getting a fight like this on the prelims this was like a fight night main events quality matchup and it completely delivered uh, what do you see next from rob now he's starting to really uh climb his way into contendership yeah i mean he he it's uh you know, there's a bit of a queue in this uh, division, as we learned uh, today. Uh, the champion will not be able to defend his title in Abu Dhabi at the next pay-per-view. So there's probably going to be an interim title, if not a delay. So uh, there, there's quite a bit of work to do to still climb the uh, rankings for Marab. Uh, let me take a look at what those current rankings are. So. I mean, it seems like they're gonna work. They're working on Dillashaw versus Aldo. So Dillashaw is not... gonna be out for a while, though. Okay, so I mean, Aldo. I like Aldo. That's a good I one. I like him too. Like, you know, Aldo, Rob Font. Both of those are still upgrades. Um, it looks like Sandhagen's gonna get the title, the interim title shot. You got Jan Sterling. So yeah, I say Divishili. I mean, look, even Cruz, put it, you know, putting him against Cruz isn't a bad yeah. idea because Cruz, you know, is looking for a fight and, uh, it's a way to, you know, make a name for Divish, Div, for Marab. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there, there's a few out there, but, uh, I, I think I like the, uh, Aldo one the most. Uh, I, I think he's ready for it. I think that. That would stylistically perhaps be his toughest matchup uh, outside of Piotr Jan. And I think that's a good thing. You know, it's best to test yourself against a guy like Jose Aldo before you fight the likes of Piotr Jan. So I like that fight as well, especially if TJ Dillashaw is going to be out for a long time. Now, I'm not saying I like that fight more than I like Jose Aldo versus Dominic Cruz, but I understand the rationale behind it. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. And it just, and it's not even, it's like, I mean, I don't want to say it's never going to happen, but it's just uh-huh. right now for Aldo, it doesn't really make sense to do that one. It makes so. it always makes sense. The greatest featherweight <laughs> of all time and the greatest bandweight of all time are in the same uh, division, in the same rankings, in the same promotion. Put it together. Yeah, it's just they want to give you know Aldo big fight that could lead to a title shot, and they don't want to give that. They, to they gave Cruz him a title right shot now. off of a loss. If he beats Cruz, he can totally get a title shot. <laughs> okay, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna abandon the UFC All matchmaker right. uh, ridiculous, right. and we'll move on to uh, the next fight, one that many were looking forward to. Dan Hooker managing to somehow make his way into uh, America. For this one, taking on Nazrat Hakparsat. Nazrat Hakparsat. So both Hooker and Hackprest had uh, very difficult. Yeah, I think I believe that's it. Both of them had very difficult journeys to this fight, especially with their visa issues. And Hackprest's mother passed away about two weeks ago. So our condolences to him as well. It was remarkable that these two made weights and made the fight here because there were so many times throughout this last week where it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is amazing that they made weight considering, you know, how, especially hooker who had to travel. I mean, it was like two days of travel starting on Wednesday or something that he had to do. So, I mean, kudos to him for making the way, you know, not complaining and, you know, getting it done. 
So the crowd definitely behind Dan Hooker here. Hackbrass lands a solid uh, one-two to start the fight, but as the fight continues, Hackbrass is not landing a lot, and Dan Hooker is always putting on the pressure. The first round wasn't uh, the most the busiest round for either fighter, but I did give the round to Dan Hooker based on being the more active fighter, even though Hackbrass probably landed the hardest punches of the round. Uh, as the fight progresses, it gets one more uh, one-sided, however, though. Hooker continues to apply the pressure in round two, marching forward just constantly, and this is when he starts throwing those knees, both to the head and body. And while he was unsuccessful in trying to bring the fight to the ground early here, these knees were the difference maker at this point in the bout. With just seconds remaining, pretty much, Hooker finally completes the takedown, stamping the round in his favor, but there was really no doubt going into this one. He was just far busier, which is always a difference maker on the scorecards. Going into round three, Hackprast is a bit busier. He knows he needs a finish, but this is when Dan Hooker shows off some uh, pretty impressive wrestling and timing his takedowns as Hackprast is swinging, basically. Brings him to the ground repeatedly, and while Hackprast did pull himself up, he was just taken right back down. The fight goes the distance. I scored it 30-27 for Dan Hooker. Did you see it the same way? I had it the same way. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive uh, from Hooker. I mean, took uh, Nazrat's best shot, still kept coming forward, had a lot of variety in his attack. Uh, you mentioned the wrestling, uh, very good wrestling, using excellent uh, leverage, good timing. Um, the city kickboxing people have pretty good wrestling, it seems like. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you wouldn't think so from the kickboxing school. But yeah, really good uh, comeback win for uh, Hooker. Nazrat, really tough first two rounds, just not enough activity out there. Uh, put himself in a hole, and uh, he wasn't able to come back from it. Um, but uh, yeah, really impressive from Hooker. You know, somebody who's, you know, always just short of getting in that title contention, um, but uh, always somebody who's in incredibly fun fights and uh, no doubt that people will be excited to see him again. But, you know, he, I'm not sure what, what's involved with getting him to fight. I wonder, you know, it was a, it was a three round fight. So I don't think he'll want a quick turnaround and it's really difficult for him to go back to um, New Zealand and uh, like deal with the, uh, you know, the quarantining and the visa issues uh, for leaving in relation to COVID. So um, at least he got the W this time. As difficult as the travel issues have been for him, he's, he's fought three times throughout this pandemic. So he's been a fighter who's been willing to make those sacrifices to get in there. In his post-fight interview, he calls out Benil Dariush and... Dariush is at this point high enough up in the rankings. I'm not sure he'd be looking at that fight, but I thought it was a, a good call out from Dan Hooker. Yeah, it's a great call out. Um, I do think Dariush is probably going to avoid that one. Um, there, there's just some you know better options out there for Dariush that's going to get him closer to a title shot. I think, um, but uh, not a bad call out. And if it does happen, I'd be okay with it. Um, other than that, I don't know, maybe has Hooker fought Dos Anjos? That'd be a good one. Uh, He is not. Yeah, that, that's a good shout. That'd be a pretty good fight. Oh, wait. Oh, of course. Rafael Dos Anjos is booked to fight Islam Makachev. 
Wow. What was I thinking? I think despite the outcome of that fight, you can put that together. He's he's perpetually (laughs) booked to fight. uh, (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're they're in a constant state of being booked to fight each other. Well, I mean, Hooker's right beside Gillespie in the rankings. I mean, that's not a bad one. Um, I mean, there's Tony Ferguson, but apparently he's like dropped off planet Earth. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure what you do with Dan Hooker, but uh, no doubt you can put him into some type of exciting fight. Yeah, the lightweight division is so stacked with names and talent that there's plenty of fun fights you can put him in. And I'd expect him to be in a more prominent position for his next bout, not uh, second on the prelims. All right, so the, why don't you give uh, the rate rest of the results? Maybe you want to talk a little bit about uh, what Chris Dacus did. And I will get the performance bonuses ready. So Chris Dacus and Shamil Abdurakimov, 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 no, no, whatever, Shamil, they have a pretty brawling fight for the minute and a, or round and a half it lasted. Shamil was the more active fighter, but you can see that Dacus had the power in his hands and he hurts Shamil bad near the end of round one. In fact, he said, oh, I, I finished the fight there practically, but hey, it goes to round two. And I, I don't know what exchange they had, but uh, they were pretty heated at each other at the beginning of round two. That heat doesn't last for long, though, because Alcus just brutally knocks Shamil out here. A, a late stoppage, I would say, as well, because Shamil ate a lot of unnecessary follow-up shots. Alcus wins by TKO at a minute and 23 seconds of the second round. A good win for him. They're both top-ranked heavyweights. I, I think Daukas was 10th, maybe, and Shamil was 7th. So he's going to be moving to the upper echelon of ranked heavyweight talents soon. And at heavyweight, there is uh, a notable like difference in talent level once you get to like those top six guys. There's... Uh, like it's a, di- it's a different gap than you find in other divisions, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. People, you know, people who shine a little bit of brightness, you know, they get accelerated because, yeah, there's not a lot there. And yeah, the gap level from the top to the bottom is quite high. So uh, before you read the rest of the card, the reason why I wanted you to talk about Dacus is because Dacus was a winner of a performance of the night bonus along with Mirab Dvalishvili. The two of them got the performance bonuses. And the fight of the night, do you know what the fight of the night was? Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega, I assume. That is correct. So yeah. those four are your performance bonus winners. Oh, somebody, yes. got, somebody got screwed on these early prelims. And I guess yeah, we'll there was a that. lot of, there was definitely a lot of good performances out there. A lot of uh, perf- bonus worthy performances um why don't you run down the rest of the results and uh i'll get the next cards ready yeah as we quickly run through the rest of these prelims because guess what it's it's 2 30 in the morning right now friends so <laughs> we're, we're just gonna run through these ones talia santos defeats roxanne modafferi by unanimous decision a pretty strong performance from santos who's now like 18 and 1 professionally she'll probably be moving into the top 10 after this Jalen Turner defeats Eros Medic by rear naked choke at four minutes and one second of round one. A phenomenal performance from Turner here against a really tough undefeated opponent. 
Nick Maximov defeats Cody Brundage by unanimous decision, 29-28 all. And uh, going into our early prelims here, Matthew Samuelsberger, uh, semi the Jedi, defeats Martin Sano by knockout in 15 seconds of round one. How this guy did not get a performance bonus, I'm not sure, but this was a highlight reel for Matthew Samuelsberger, who became one of two fighters ever with multiple knockouts in the UFC in under 20 seconds with Anthony Rumble Johnson. So there you go. The two hardest hitters in UFC history. And opening up the card, we had Jonathan Pierce, JSP, defeating Omar Morales by rear naked choke at 331 of round two. GSP in French. And that's UFC 266, Phil. What were your thought, final thoughts on the show? Uh, I mean, it was a really fun card for the most part. It kind of lulled a little bit uh, with, you know, the Blades Rosen Strike fight. Um, but for the most part, some very good action. Glad, you know, Nick Diaz was able to come back and, you know, at least show something of himself. And of course, an incredible performance from Alexander Volkanovsky. And then we have uh, Valentina Shevchenko showing why she's the best of the best. And you know how much I love her, her dancing, her guns, her multitude of languages. Valentina, you can call me. Uh, I'm waiting. She can, but she will not. So overall, a very fun card. A lot of stories coming out of this. Uh, What's the next pay-per-view coming up? Well, before we get to the next pay-per-view, we'll go through a little bit about what's going on in the coming week. So next week, you, of course, will be working, doing an incredible write-up on a fight night between with a main event between Tiago Santos oh, and Johnny Walker. What a main event. Uh, we yeah. also have... So interestingly, on this card, okay, so next week, you have Kyle Dacus is fighting, the brother of Chris Dacus. He's fighting Kevin Holland. Uh, Misha Sirkinov versus Christoph Joko is on here. Okay. A little bit down the down the card, not an accident. Antonina Shevchenko versus Casey O'Neill. So that's one to watch. Oh boy! Right. So that's next these, week. These big big fight. Fought. I could have sworn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we know how it's going to go down. Um. So then the so that's October second, October 9th. Uh, we've got Mackenzie Dern versus uh, Marina Rodriguez. Uh, is there anything else? Duran Wynn on that card. This sounds uh, horrible. It does sound really horrible. Uh, and then, and then, the following week, you got what you wanted. You got what you wanted, Eric. UFC Fight Night, Home versus Dumont. Jesus Christ. That's that's strong worst fight of the year potential there. Uh, these are some really bad cards, man. Like really yes. bad cards. If so you that take was... three cards and you can only make a half decent singular card out of three cards, that's not good. Yeah, that one was supposed to feature Caitlin Vieira going up against Misha Tate, but Misha Tate had to pull out due to a positive COVID test. Uh, I mean, there's some other people fighting on that card. Uh, if we move on I to bet. the following week, the following week, that one is headed headlined by a fight. I don't know if we'll actually see it, but it's supposed to be Paulo Costa versus Marvin Vittori, which oh, is actually a go. pretty exciting fight. Okay. So 
We'll, we'll see if that one goes down. And then the following week, October 30th, the UFC numbered events return, but it's not on pay-per-view. The UFC will be in Abu Dhabi for Jan Blokovic versus Glover Tejera. I'm assuming we're going to do a post-show, John and I. That event will be happening in the middle of the day, I believe, because it's for the Arab market. Um, we learned today that a title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan was Hold because Aljamain Sterling is injured, unfortunately. Maybe Corey Sandhagen is going to get put into that slot instead. Also on that card, we've got Magomed Ankalaya versus Volkan Ozdemir, Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tabura, Li Zhang Lang versus Kazmat Shemaev. No doubt a big fight that people will be paying attention to. A lot of interest in what Hamzat can do, what his comeback is going to be like. And then the following weekend is UFC 268, the return to pay-per-view, live from Madison Square Garden in New York. This is a ridiculous pay-per-view. I mean, essentially, UFC 267, which is the week before, is, is, is a giant infomercial for UFC 268. So I'm going to run down the card. Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington rematch. Rose Nama Yunus versus Zhang Wei Li. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, Sean Strickland versus Luke Rockhold, Frankie oh Edgar, God. Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera, Edmund Shabazian versus Nazardine Imavov, Al Iaquinta versus Bobby Green. Al Iaquinta, yes. And second on the bill, I mean, we talked about this. Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantilio. Oh, so, you know, Quarantillo. I got his name wrong the first time there. It's pretty fine. amazing We've done card. That so many times today. Yeah, yeah. So pretty, pretty incredible uh, cards uh, coming up. That one and the paper, or well, the numbered event before. But yeah, some stinky fight nights ahead of that. But uh, post wrestling will, of course, have all the coverage for you um, of all of those fights. Those events, what are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I, I don't think it would be saying anything wild to say that the Madison Square Garden pay-per-view is the best looking of all those cards, but the pay-per-view of the week prior is pretty decent as well. And if you had to pick one fight of all of the ones that uh, we mentioned, and I know we, you don't have to say Johnny Walker, okay? I Listen, Johnny Walker versus Thiago Santos is probably going to be two minutes. That's really fun, but it's that's not a main event, you know? I, and I love Thiago Santos. He's he's the best, but uh, I don't know about all that. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of good fights coming up on those uh, last three cards. Uh, I I'm, I think I'm going to go with Rose Namunis versus Zhang Wei Li. I mean, really? I, I kind of felt robbed in that first fight just because it was such a quick knockout. I was really looking forward to that fight. I was like, well, great for Rose, but I wanted to see more. And even though I wouldn't have booked the rematch personally here, I'm still really looking forward to forward to seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they do, uh, are, if they are able to put on the Jan versus uh, Sandhagen fight, I think that that will probably be my number one. But uh, other than that, I, I'm I am really curious in Zhang Lang versus Hamzat. I mean, yeah, Lee, he has he's impressed me all so much. 
Like I always, he's one of these fighters that I usually bet against and he proves me wrong. And, you know, coming off of that amazing win versus Ponzinibbio, uh, you know, he, he's got some real strong momentum. And you know, as I already mentioned, you know, a lot of buzz on Hamzat. He's looked incredible. I, I you know, a lot of questions about how he's going to come back after, you know, his bout with COVID, it, you know, it sounded really scary, but it sounds like everything's back to normal with him. And if he is healthy, uh, 2022, watch out the year of the Hamzat. And Jan Bohovic versus Glover Teixeira too. That, that's a good fight. Uh, that, that is a good age, fight. That's, that's, that's a right. really good fight. Yeah, it's sort of just getting, you know, they're both, you know, subdued um, fighters. You know, they don't make a lot of noise, very yeah. skilled. And so I think that that's probably, and you know, that that UFC 268 Usman Covington card is so nuts. And it's just, it's, it's in MSG, so it's just going to draw so much attention. 100%. All right. So that just about does it. That wraps up our coverage of UFC 266. As I mentioned, John and I will be back. I know that uh, John and Wei, I'm sure that they'll be back, what, tonight, tomorrow with some yep. more G1 yeah, coverage, 40 more G1 podcasts. Then you've got Raw, Dynamite. You've got wrestling coming out of every hole on earth. It's, it's, it's a wild time in the post world. We're giving you all of it. We're keeping you up to date with everything that's going on in the world of pro wrestling and MMA. Eric, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure to have you. Do you have anything uh, that you want to say to the people you want to leave them with? Oh, wow. That, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, hey, I'm always uh, glad to jump on here and talk MMA with you for a while. Uh, we had a pretty busy night on the Discord. We always do with these MMA uh, shows. So for anyone who wants to join in on the discussion, always feel free to jump in there. It's a largely a very kind community, and we have a lot of fun talking about the fights. Uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to be on the Extreme Rules Watch Long on the Up Next Twitch. So oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we'll bear through that together if you'd like. And you can follow me on Twitter at EricMargot705, I think. That's right. And that's on screen if you are watching on YouTube. And yeah, so tomorrow, uh, WWE Extreme Rules Watch Along, twitch.tv slash upnextpodcast. And I do know that there will be a big post show after that pay-per-view where patrons, uh, John and Wei, will be taking your calls to talk about Bianca Belair reclaiming her title from <laughs> from yeah. uh, whatever Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch, Lynch. Yeah, is that is that uh, the matchup you're most excited for, Phil? That yes, that that is definitely yeah, the I one bet. that I'm. <laughs> All right. So once again, thank you very much to Eric. Thank you to everyone for uh, watching at home and joining us live and staying up with us, uh, especially to our friends in the UK and Europe who are up so late. Uh, yeah, I think there was one more thing. Yeah, come join us on Discord. We have a fancy new URL, discord.gg slash postwrestling, postwrestling.com slash Discord. Either one of those is going to work. We do fight predictions. Uh, we do wrestling predictions. We have a lot of fun. So come on in. Uh, join us on Discord. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you, everybody, joining us live. Peace. <laughs>